1: Jones, Barnes, he's got it. England
0: have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match.
1: Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. What a great week it's been so far in the World T20 for England. Two wins out of two and even better news, perhaps, for England. Ben Stokes is going to the Ashes. Uh, You've probably picked up that over the last few days, uh, the story that Ben's now in nets and really getting earnest about his Ashes campaign. His finger has cleared up and so has his other issues. So that's great news for England. And actually, they're, at the moment, blazing a trail in, in the World T20 as well, Simon. And I know you've been covering a, a few of the matches with the BBC. And, well, they're they're not. I wouldn't say they're necessarily the team to beat, because actually Pakistan have been probably the most exciting team so far. And it's quite interesting to see in the group stages, in the groups that, that Pakistan are in, India are second from bottom at the moment. <laughs> though, of course, they have only played one game. And oddly, they're not playing again for for, for quite a few days. So they're going to be bottom for quite a while, given that they were originally the favourites for for the tournament. And of course, they still could easily win it. But it's quite an interesting
0: uh, situation. Well, I predict that's going to change Oz, I I still think uh, India will be in the semi-finals, so they do have to be careful if they lose to New Zealand they are in real problems in this group and it's sort of w- what happens when you have a group with two weakish sides in it Namibia and, and Scotland one moderate side in Afghanistan and, and three strong sides you know in a strange way. England are in a better group because you, you feel everyone could beat everyone. So you might need fewer wins to qualify for the semi-finals. You might not. We'll see how it plays out. It's too early to, to say at the moment. But India have got a really significant game coming up against New Zealand. If they were to lose that, then you could see them not qualifying for the semi-finals, even if they were to go on and win all their other games. So they're on a, on a, on a bit of a tightrope, really. You you, you might say it's all bizarrely uh, it's all like an early quarterfinal almost. But you know, I would expect them to mm. overcome uh, New Zealand. And I mean, what, what about England though? They've, they've won two, they, you know, not guaranteed anything yet, but they've, they've done it so comfortably so far. They've, you know, they just knocked off the West Indies. They they knocked off Bangladesh. It's almost just like you brushing them away. And they're like, you know, just brushing a bit of dust off your clothes. It's been it's been so straightforward for them so far. Yeah. Uh, yes, there yeah. must, they're must they're, you know, there are bound to be bigger challenges to come and they've got Australia next. Yes, I, I agree. And I think that
1: the interesting thing is that you thought when you looked at that uh, 2019 World Cup team, was it possible to improve and incidentally uh, we've got talking of the 2019 world cup team we have liam plunkett on this show uh, later in the second half he was our guest in the virtual cricket club last night and he talks about the success of that world cup team and why uh, they were so good and what, what was behind their success in a way uh, but just going to this team now this current side They have improved, I think, uh, not necessarily by new personnel, but just by adaption. And two people I'll pick out, Moen Ali, clearly, uh, who's been bowling in the power play. And I think in that first match against West Indies, we're probably only going to bowl one over. But Owen Morgan spied uncertainty in the batting. And also confidence in Moen's bowling and kept him going. And he put he took uh, two key wickets and a, and a very good catch as well, and really undermined the West Indies in that first match. And then bowling well against Bangladesh kept him going again. He got two key wickets there. So uh, the, the performance of Moen Ali, which I think was partly on the back of a very good performance in the IPL, feeling comfortable in those conditions, knowing the pitches, knowing the environment, having been out in the UAE for couple of weeks three or four weeks with his uh, chennai super kings team who of course won the ipl and he is the first englishman to have played in a team that won the ipl so that must have really helped his confidence coming into this tournament and the other player i'd pick out is jason roy who you know, we all know his his amazing ability to hit power hitting fast bowlers and, and bludgeon it to the boundary but his weaknesses against spin have always been a little bit uh Fairly, fairly obvious. And I think he's he's coped with those really well and, and found new options. He knows that, that teams are now going to open with spin. And he's found a, a new route to, uh, to to productivity, which is which is impressive. Yeah, he's, well,
0: he's been working on it, hasn't he? He said he's been working with Liam Dawson. He's got Liam Dawson to bowl a lot at him. He's, you know, he's, he's in the squad, left armour and he's in the party out there in the UAE, he's been working with Liam Dawson. Yeah, because he knows that's what they're going to do. And actually, if you look at his stats, against spin that they're not actually that bad. You know, he, he really has improved. So you know, that so that's a major plus for England because it's that sort of default position that teams have. Oh yeah, ball spin at Jason Roy in the power play. But if, it, you know, that's great. You, a player spots a, a potential weakness in their game, works really hard at it. And then when the pressure's on potentially, you know, you know you can deal with it because you, you've practiced so much. It's that whole, whole thing, isn't it? About practice, practice, practice. You know, it really helps him. And yesterday, uh, came out and batted really well, sixty ones. It's quite a tame first over from Shaqib. I think England got away, and I mean there was there was no there was no tension in the game at all. No 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 threat from from Bangladesh. Same same with West Indies in, in the opening game. With that, I mean that must have been a, a huge lift for England that first game to to beat a, you know potentially a tricky side like the West Indies just take them down like that. And then Bangladesh is probably you know if you want that that if you want. The right opponents for the next game, probably Bangladesh, are those opponents. They're, they're, you know, mm. The weakest side in the group, and you win there as well. And you know, suddenly, you've got two wins. Also, your net run rate is really strong as well. So, if it was a situation where teams were level on points, so England are so far ahead on net run rate, you know they've had two thumping wins, so they got a little advantage there as well. So they, you know, they can drop a game, possibly even drop two games and then still qualify. We don't, don't quite know how everything's going to work out and who, who beats who. I was very
1: disappointed with the West Indies. And I think it proves that the way they played, that you do have to evolve. It's not good enough to just say, well, the way we play is we we might soak up a few dot balls, but then we hit some sixes and catch up. That is not the way to go on some of these grounds because they are quite big playing areas. uh, And say Abu Dhabi, for instance, quite a big surface. And you can't just catch up with a few sixes. They should have been more calculating, but they sort of stuck to their plans of, no, we... We feel we're strong enough to, to clear the ropes and stuff. And they were, you know, 55 all out. It, it was, it, you got to evolve. You know, teams know what you're going to, how you're going to try and play. So you've got to be clever. You've got to be smart. Uh, and they weren't, which was which is disappointing. And England are evolving. And, you know, one other player I'll pick out. And, and this is kind of where I suppose uh, Liam Plunkett's absence uh, is a, a sort of benefit to England. It's allowed someone like T- Tamar Mills to come in and uh, he's a, a guy who can bowl in the middle overs and at the end, at the death, and is invaluable. And I think one great thing about him is, and we've seen it, you know, over his truncated career, the difference, the differential between his faster ball and his slower ball is, is immense. It's about, it's about 22 miles an hour. And that if you can do that and bowl them with the same action in the same vigor, which he does,
0: that's an invaluable tool. Well, three for 27 and two for 17 so far. So five wickets, economy rate pr- pretty good as well. He's had about as good a start, I think he's, he could possibly have, have hoped for. Uh, what do England do with, you know, Mark Wood's uh, not being fit, Tom Curran's not being fit. I don't see Curran playing much of a part unless England do have uh, injuries to their main bowlers. But, you know, Wood I think was so in the frame, definitely. How much of a concern is that as far as the Ashes are concerned? Uh, Mark Wood, he's, he's missed a couple of games uh, through an ankle injury. Uh, England might not change their side for the Bangladesh game as it was, but he. Owen Morgan made the point. Yeah, Mark Wood's not fit. Um, mm. What about that? I mean, they, they, you know, Jofra Archer's gone. Ollie Stone's gone. But uh, Ben um, Stokes is back. So well, Ben Stokes is back. Yeah.
1: Stokes is going to be bowling quite a few overs, I think, in the in the Ashes. Yeah, I mean, Mark, obviously Wood is a worry, and but but we've always known that, really. Uh, I mean, he's someone who can't really play two test matches back-to-back. Back. And, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, as <laughs> soon as you have operations on, on an ankle or something, there are always going to be worries and likelihoods of uh, reinfections or re, re-injuring those sort of areas. It, it's a shame. Um, maybe he'll be able to... To get through I mean I not I saw him running on the field yesterday carrying drinks or sweaters or something and or not sweaters because they won't be wearing sweaters <laughs> in the UAE obviously uh ice or something and um, he looked all right you touched to those eyes you saw him sprightly. bring his sweaters on <laughs> <laughs> yeah he looked quite sprightly but uh I, obviously yeah. that's different from running into bowl and
0: crashing his foot down on the hard concrete surface yeah, well, we, we, he's he's missed two games. That's all we know so far. I mean, he's, if England, I suppose, were really concerned, they might have ruled him out of the tournament and brought in a replacement. And that's happened for for some players already. Bangladesh have dropped a, a bowler, haven't they? West Indies have, have dropped a bowler as well. So England haven't done that yet. So clearly, or at the moment, they they feel that he's you know there is potential for him to play uh, later in the tournament. So in England have got Australia, Sri, Sri Lanka, and South Africa. Uh, to play, and I mean South Africa. They, what is it with them and 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 world tournaments? Uh, you know, Quinton de Kock uh, pulling out of the game the other day, apologising uh, today in a statement, got an emotional statement as well, uh, saying you know he, he apologises for what happened the other day, You're not not joining in with with taking the knee, and mm. this is something that South Africa, to me, it didn't seem they sorted out before the tournament. So well, that's you know, the point,
1: isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean there was a photograph of them the other day and they they all uh, show this sort of symbol of unity in a in a different way. It's a very pointed photograph. You know, some players are taking the knee, some players are standing to attention, some players are uh, a fist raise. And you know, Decoq told that he had to take the knee and he 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 refused and then you know pulled pulled out of the game and now you know he, he he's apologized. It, it it's it's not a good look. No, uh, for South Africa. No, yeah.
1: I mean, he says uh, he said in 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 a few uh, lines in in his statement, we had camps, we had sessions, we had Zoom meetings. We know where we all stand, and that is together. I think it would have been better for everyone concerned if we had sorted this out before the tournament started. Then we could have focused on our job to win cricket matches for our country. There always seems to be a drama when we go to World Cups. And that does seem to be very, very much uh, the case. And if you think back to, you know, the 2015 World Cup, for instance, and, and losing that semi-final to New Zealand, and uh, having to change the team at the last moment, and uh, you know, Ab de Villiers being captain, and having being told who he could replace someone with, and it just all causing kind of horrible issues. You, you know, these these tournaments, taking aside the sort of whole political issue, the racial issue, these tournaments are finely balanced all these teams are pretty close the top teams are pretty close you've got to be 100 focused on playing the game and clearly south africa in that first match were all over the place um you know it was sort of 80 for seven or something like that and they lost in the end i mean it was a bit closer than perhaps you would have predicted against australia but still they looked to rabble and you know, whatever the issues are that cause that, if you're not all focused and you're not all together and you're being told things which some people want to do and some people don't, it's going to undermine your performance.
0: Yeah, although they did come back and beat West Indies uh, you know, very comfortably, actually, as it turned out in their second match. So the game that De missed, you know, all that what was going on behind the scenes in the lead up to that game, they did come out and win the game quite comfortably. Perhaps that says, not a great deal for the West Indies, that you know, as you've mm-hmm. alluded to so far. So they, they played two games. You know, they are the defending champions. They've got players who've played a lot of T20 cricket. It's it sort of, in a way you sort of feel with West Indian cricket that it's their sort of main focus. That's where the you know the, the, the big focus is from all their top players. And they've got you know they've got a lot of talent, but they have not been able to to harness it so far, and they they really are teetering on the brink now played played two, lost to you know, they they need the well they need to win every game i would have thought to have a, a chance to qualify even, even if they do uh, that might not be enough mm. Mm. but one team we haven't talked about yours is, is pakistan well of course you want to talk about them because <laughs> you uh, clairvoyantly said well they're, they're a dark horse they they've got a great chance here and well I, improved correct well, it, it, it's early days. I, mean, I think we should. U- they do look that. very good. They they do look good. And I ex- I expect them to play well. If, well, for all the reasons I outlined in the, in the podcast last week, when we were talking about that, you know, they are playing at their second home. They know the conditions. They and they've got lots of talent as well. But you know, some somewhere along the line, it's going to be the same for England, Australia, or wherever, India, whoever qualifies for the for the semi-finals. You know, it's going to be one of those on the day. They've got two on the day performances, haven't they? To, to, to produce and and that they, clearly their semi-final opponent is going to be a difficult one and they could easily stumble and fall a mm. bit like England did against Pakistan saying that in the champions' trophy. Remember when they lost in 2017 to Pakistan an awful day out in Cardiff and it, it can happen on the day. And what you what you what you hope is that your plans, your preparations, or your form and everything all comes together nicely and that that nice alchemy works and it, it takes you to the final. But at the moment I mean two you know two so different types of victories for them I and mean, what a fantastic Philip to beat India by 10 wickets oh yeah I mean may, you know amazing day and you know one of the celebrations in Pakistan as well the first time they've ever beaten India in a, in a World Cup great for Pakistan but also it was a sort of big statement of intent as well uh, 10 wickets taking down India and then a different sort of win against New Zealand. because at one point against New Zealand they looked a bit vulnerable you thought oh no this is going to go this is going to go wrong for them this is this is Pakistan you know up one day down the next That's, I mean, that's become a bit of a cliche, but I was thinking about this this morning. Isn't it so true of all international sides? They're a bit up and down. I mean, England and England are no different, you know, that they're up and then they're down. You know, they they win a game and then they lose a game. It's the nature of one day cricket, partly, isn't it? Uh, People can, you know, you haven't got any
1: time to recover, especially in T20. You know, if you do collapse to 30 for four, it's not easy to come back. Uh, obviously, in a longer format or a test match, you've got the second innings or the back half of the innings to to try and recover yourself. Uh, that, so it, it isn't easy. And you- at times, you know, I'm just just to finish. I mean, you know, if you get a good bowling spell, a Shine Shah, Freedy, or, you know, Moen Ali taking a couple of early wickets and destabilises you, it's not easy to come back in T20.
0: Therefore, uh, even a successful team can have dips. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not just referring to white ball cricket as well. It's just, it's the, it's the phrase that's used about Pakistan cricket in mm. general. You never quite know what you're going to get. Well, England England are no different from that. I mean, you know, they beat India by an innings at Headingley. They absolutely thrashed them. And then, you know, what happens in the next test match? You know, they, they lost the game they, they you know bowled out on the final day and england are, are up and down they, they had that incredible win against australia heading in 2019 what happened in the next match they, they lost at old trafford and australia retained the ashes so yeah you, you could it, it's a funny it's sort of it's a label that's attached to pakistan mm. cricket and you know and there is you know there is some truth in it but it, it i think it goes for all teams pakistan lost to the west indies in the first test uh, in Jamaica, that amazing finish, and the, but they came back and played brilliantly in the second Test match. But then England are capable of doing that, and so are South Africa, so are Australia. Australia up and mm-hmm. up and down as well. So it's, it's well, as I said at the beginning, in a way, you know, all these teams are quite closely
1: matched, and it only yeah. takes one yeah. or two, you know, smart or scintillating performances to, to turn the tables. One thing I would say about Pakistan, I think, is a key person, and this sounds obvious, Baba Azam not only for his silky, sublime batting, and he just makes batting look so easy, but also I think his captaincy, I think his demeanour on the field... You know, there have been Pakistan captains of the last 10 years or so who've been a bit hot-headed. And, and even Kohli, I think, doesn't help his team's cause by looking kind of concerned and, and a bit anxious and perhaps occasionally angry when things don't go to plan. Obviously, this is Owen Morgan's great strength. His great asset is that composure, that sort of song, sang-fra that he has, um, you know, that you can't tell what he's thinking. And I think Baba's a bit like that too. He looks calm. He looks composed. He looks in control, and I think that's reassuring to the rest of his team. Yeah,
0: is batting easy sometimes? Do you, th- you say player makes batting look easy? Do you think it is easy, or is it always a struggle for, you know, for, for, the, for the top for, players? Is it yeah, always I, knew, a struggle? I mean, yeah, I, I, I've asked a
1: lot of players about that because um, clearly I don't have enough evidence of my own experience. But you've written a book. You've written a book about that, and, same, and I, it, and I, I would say that uh, when your head is clear and you're just allowing your movements to dictate what happens and you're just focusing on the ball and you're not worrying about your trigger movements and your foot positions and who's bowling and you know various other things, you've got your, a clear mind. I think batting can be easy, yes. Uh, I, I think if you get into that rhythm, you look at some of the innings, the innings that Joe Root has played recently, he, he makes batting look ridiculously easy. And, other, and it's not. It's not easy at all. Absolutely not. But when you're that skillful and you've got that clear mind,
0: you can make it look easy. Steve Smith made batting look pretty easy on the last Ashes tour. I remember him, you know, in Perth, for example, he just thought this guy, this guy's going to bat forever. Now, so talking about Ashes, neat neat segue onto Ben Stokes. Um, He he hasn't played much cricket for for a lot of the year. The, The finger injury clearly was a major issue for him. I think it was, it was, you know it's it's horrible when you have uh, a, an injury like that it does really drag you down and yeah you know, that's a constant pain it is your job isn't it and if you've got a you know damaged finger it's, it's it's so much part of who you are as a cricketer and it needs to be right what 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 can what can we expect from from ben stokes is that, is that an impossible uh, question to answer i mean i, I got i've got sort of wind of this that there's a possibility that he was going to turn up for the ashes a couple of weeks ago which yeah. you start you know you hear the rumor mill mm. you know, things start yeah. to things start to come out um so it, it i think not, we said it on this program actually yeah, it's not entirely surprising when that yeah. news was was released on monday uh those mm. of you, those of us who sort of you know hear whispers and things like that mm. uh, is it for England is it a huge psychological lift for, for those players? To, yes. to Have him there. Is it a, a massive boost, or yeah. you know, okay, it's one thing to have him, but of course, there's, there's no point having him if he if he doesn't you know produce any runs or wickets. You know, when when it comes when push comes to shove in the in the test match. No, I think
1: it's a huge psychological lift. Um, I think it's massive for Joe Root, who I think you know was feeling a bit of a sort of lone uh, warrior really, and and actually you to use the word warrior it is important because Ben brings that that uh, confrontational. Sort of nature in almost intimidating nature to to the game uh and and he's so combative he's so confident he's so competitive and uh, you need that in australia more than anywhere where you know as soon as you arrive at, at, at customs they're staring you down and going well you've got no chance mate
0: yeah.
1: uh, and I, I've had that, that to self-belief. me, and I wasn't
0: even playing.
1: Well, yes, I know exactly. Uh, I mean, exactly. You'll you get, might, get it again. You might as, as well go back on the shortly. plane,
0: mate. Well, you come? Come to cover the England cricket now? Now, mate, you must yeah. just go back home. We're gonna, we're gonna thrash you. Yeah. A, like, a customs officer said it to me when his dog came up to sniff my bag at the airport, and, <laughs> <laughs> That's, and I'm not even playing. Stokes thrives on that sort of thing,
1: and uh, so uh, you know, undoubtedly, massively reassuring to Root as captain. And you know style batsman that he's got are now an ally in the team and obviously to the rest of the side as well. We just mentioned uh, Mark Wood's uh, fragility and fitness wise you've got Stokes there to to bowl incisive overs hopefully and, and and be aggressive and be in the faces of the Australians. So and that's the key thing really. obviously we know we know about his his skill, all-round skill, his presence on the field uh, in, in the slips and and just you know goading, his players, and you know, perhaps kind of the odd line to, to the Aussies as well. He has that immense respect from the Aussies, who know what he can do, and uh, that just is is a massive lift to England in all ways.
0: Okay, Oz, uh, we're going to hear from Liam Plunkett uh, after the break. We have the we've had the first what nine matches of the tournament. Actually, I note that eight of the nine have been won so far by the by the teams uh, batting second. We did our predictions a week or so ago. I think it's time to just revisit our prediction for the semi-finals. After what you've seen so far, fairly early days, who are your four teams for the semi-final? England,
1: India, Pakistan and Australia. And Australia getting there by the skin of their teeth.
0: Well, I wrote Australia off last week. I said I didn't think they would do particularly well in the tournament, but actually, um, I I do think they'll make the semi-finals. I think those will be the four semi-finals. Those are my four semi-finalists as well. So, um, I'd like to see Afghanistan
1: in the, in the semifinals and but but they can't obviously get in with uh, India and Pakistan as well. Um, I just think they actually they've been really exciting. And what a wonderful Philip for them with the, all, all that's going on in their country um you know, to play the way they've played, and just to exhibit the skills they have actually as well. I mean it's it's a tremendous boon to have them in the competition. It
0: is, although what I would say is that the only team they've beaten so far is Scotland. And I mean, Scotland did really well to qualify. They beat Bangladesh and they won all three of their, their preliminary group matches, but yeah, they've been found out i'm not quite sure that's necessarily the right phrase but you know they, they are at a level and other teams are you know are, are above them and afghanistan are, are definitely above them and you know their spinners sorted them out in that that match the day 130 runs it was a pretty chasing defeat and then scotland beaten by and the as well so yeah that's it that's it for me Oswald. next time we were um we speak to you on this podcast we'll revisit those predictions and see whether we still think those four teams are, are the most likely uh, semi-finals. yeah I've, I've sort of given Australia a reprieve I thought about it. after writing them off last week I thought you know what they're going to win the tournament or something like that so I've put them back in in my four for the semifinals but we'll see how that pans out
1: so the guest in the, the virtual cricket club the other day was Liam Plunkett uh, and uh, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, this is a club we run every week uh, to interview a, a leading player in aid of the Professional Cricketers Trust, the charity that supports players who have fallen on hard times. And uh, we've had an absolute list of of players over the, the year. And in fact, we're celebrating, Simon, our mm. first birthday of the world's best cricket club, as we call it, uh, very uh, in, in, in modestly. And we've had pretty much some of the world's best players on it anyway. Uh, and Liam Plunkett clearly has been one of those over the last uh, four or five years or so. Uh, And, you know, I suppose the the, the interesting thing for him is he's had to go through quite a career change because he's played in that World Cup winning side and been very much part of that team for four years. Then he was basically let go as England decided to move on, looking at his age and the long-term plans... Uh, he was moved out of that England one day side and he's tried his best to to make a a living from playing for Surrey in the domestic tournaments but it hasn't kind of quite worked out for him um injuries wise hasn't helped obviously age wise young players coming in again perhaps Surrey also looking to to the future a bit more uh so he's decided now and you, you know this has been quite well publicized to move to America where his wife is from and where he's been living quite a bit over the last couple of years um, to make a go of it in American cricket because they really are starting to to make moves in the shorter formats with both a minor league and a major league announced to start in the next year or two. And he's uh, going to be very much part of that uh, as coach and player. So it's an exciting uh, you know, new chance for
0: him. Yeah, and we should talk about that. Should we? Should we start at the end? If you like yours, and when I say the end, I mean the end of Liam Plunkett's international career. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? His last game for England—you might say it's fantastic in a way—but I think there was obviously tinge of disappointment because he didn't play subsequently. Yeah, it was the World Cup final. It was that dramatic win by England in the in the super over, and Plunkett played an absolutely vital part in that whole campaign the build-up and in the campaign itself uh, and in the final so a, a sort of odd way to end really i wonder how he reflects on it
2: yeah honestly it was it was amazing As such it didn't feel like in one aspect it didn't feel like you were playing international cricket it felt like you were playing with your mates you feel like you turn up to practice and then all of a sudden you're on a big stage international cricket and everyone's watching you but everyone wanted to get better all the time and that was the thing. Everyone turned up and the net sessions were, were tough. They, they were the hardest things. So when you went and played, that felt easier than the net sessions. Especially if you're bowling in a net practice and an open wicket. Obviously, you've got the nets on the side, open open the roof and stuff like that. And you have Jason and Stokesy and Joss, all them guys. If you start missing, you're going to get fetched. It's going to end up in the crowd and you end up like a right Muppet. So that was challenging. They were the hardest times, the net sessions, which made us better. It, Pretty much what happens with good teams. When I won the league with Durham, we had an amazing batting, and all the bowlers like Harmi and myself, Graham Unions, challenged the batsmen day in day out. Same with Yorkshire, and that was the same with England. Everyone just got tested every time they practiced. So when I went to the to the game, they'd been in the situations before and faced the bowlers with, with pace or with spin, with variation. And it was one of my the best things I've had so far in my, in my life was to bowl first, and we bowled quite nicely. And then to, to put my flip-flops on and go on the balcony and just watch our guys back, uh, front row, uh, somewhere like Lord's or Oval where you've got a good feed, you probably treat yourself to some uh, sticky toffee pudding and then you get on the balcony and watch the guys go to work. It's, it was nothing better because it was stuff was happening in front of your eyes that's never happened before, like breaking records and the fastest 100, the fastest this, the fastest that. It was incredible four years and it was so consistent. We got 300 so so many times and obviously to get 400 to break the world record it was a joy to to be involved in that and it, it just went like that and as I said to win that World Cup at home at Lord's the way we won it uh was as I said it was to me it felt like it was written in the stars but it was an amazing journey that that four years and
1: and um for you uh, you know you were an important member of the team not just uh for your playing ability obviously yeah. but I felt you um, you got people down to earth occasionally. You, you know, you were you had a bit of a reputation for for sort of saying quite funny things and um, and sort of making people sort of see sort of straight. For you're you're honest, aren't you? You're a direct person. And do you think that was an important aspect of the team that you had lots of different characters who could all have an impact at different times?
2: I think so. I just try to be myself. I wasn't too up. I wasn't too down. Uh, I just speak to people and you are playing for England It's high pressured situation against good teams and there's stuff on the line. But it is a game at the end of the day. We all started to play cricket for fun and enjoyment. So, so that was the thing for me is I'm, I'm very lucky to be involved in this. I think the first time around with England, I was I thought to myself, I'm very fortunate to make this squad. I'm, I'm traveling to here. I'm traveling there. But the second time I was around, I felt like I'm good enough to play for this England team. I'm good enough to help win a game. And everyone in that dressing room felt the same about about themselves. So I think sometimes in the dressing room, you just show how positive it is. We're lucky to be here and we're all good enough to win games. And as I said, it's so relaxing. We had team meals that weren't even planned. We'd go away to the West Indies and stuff and nothing would be organized. Then all of a sudden, you'd have the whole team having dinner together, which is not that uh, usual, you know. So it's uh, stuff like that happened all the time, which just showed how close that team was. And it must
1: then have been extremely tough. Uh, And you've you've talked about it a bit, you know, to, to be not part of it anymore. And the come down from the World Cup final and then you not playing for that team must have been really tough.
2: Yeah, I think it was what it was. I mean, it's just the way that was dealt with. I've spoken about this plenty of times. I just think the management could have done it better. I could have been spoke to a little bit better, but... That's the way you're going forward. If you want to improve your teams, if you want to plan for the future, then you get new blood in. And sometimes you have to make sacrifices. If I was playing well at the time, they might have thought maybe in a year or two you might struggle. So that's fine. Like that, that is what it is. That sport. But as I said, it was just managed poorly. Uh, I miss being involved in them guys because you're playing for the best team in the world, winning, winning trophies. Like who wouldn't miss that? And obviously you create good friendships and you're best mates to playing. Uh, I miss that sort of side of it, but. I'm at a point now where I'm happy with what I've achieved. And if someone told me I'd play my last game for England and it was winning the World Cup, you know, I just have to up.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, what wonderful, wonderful experience. And and you know, you had a massive part to play in that in that game as well. And and who who are you still kind of you know close with in that team? Is there a couple of players that you regularly see or talk to?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have a WhatsApp group still, the the mm. champions' WhatsApp group where someone's birthday or some whatever, we all chip in. But I, I speak to Walksy I'm close to, Woody, Johnny, Jeroy, there's there's plenty of people that I can speak to. I wouldn't feel uncomfortable calling any of them for a conversation. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll chat to them. Walksy's in touch a little bit. Uh, mm. So yeah, all, all the guys are pretty close. But yeah, I, I know when I was playing, uh, as soon as you're in that bubble, like you're sometimes focused in a bubble and life goes on, doesn't it? But yeah, I've got a strong connection with most of them guys.
1: You, you haven't actually been together since, have you? I don't think. You've been since the day after the final... I don't think you've all been together in the same place, have you? Is that right?
2: No, I think because they were trying to get ready for the uh, test match against Ireland. So we may as well just, <laughs> we may as well not to the first day when they got cleaned up for nothing. We may as well just had to get-together then and had a bus down Trafalgar Square or something. But uh, hopefully, as you said, with with upcoming events and stuff, we can all get back together.
1: Looking at the team now then, you've obviously watched a bit of the World T20. How do you mm-hmm. think they're shaping
2: up? Really well. Yeah, against obviously you've played the last two games and they've done well. Uh, obviously, Tamar Mills has come back in, uh, been successful. He had a he came in, did well, did the IPL, uh, did quite well out there, and obviously struggled a bit with injuries and come back. But he's, he's performed well the last few years and, and in the hundred. Uh, so he's I think massive to that team as well. I think he can take some wickets and do well in that. Uh, but yeah, obviously, looking at Pakistan, they've obviously. Got, had their backs against the wall with what happened and people pulling out and that kind of stuff that played in in Dubai and UAE a lot. Uh, I think they're going to be the team to beat, to be honest. But there's a massive chance for England. Why not? All the guys have travelled around the world and played in all these conditions. We've got an amazing players. So there's a great chance to go back-to-back.
1: So he recommends uh, Pakistan as well uh, as the team to watch in the tournament, so very much backing up what you thought right at the start. And I I thought, uh, you know, what he said about the uh, the success of that England one day side, the World Cup winning side was interesting, not just about the skills on the field, but the the way they were together, the way they were mates, and you know I've been making this documentary over the last year or so interviewing a lot of the players uh, in that World Cup side, and they all say the same thing that there was this special bond between them which they'd never really experienced in a in a team before. But also what Liam was talking about was that intensity of practice as well, playing together in the nets and challenging each other. And because it was such a strong team and there were so many different ingredients within it, it, they, were, they were improving each other all the time and, 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 and kind of pushing each other. And I mean, I just remember that from playing for Middlesex when Middlesex won a series of tournaments in the 1980s. You know, there were so many good players and we were all testing each other in the nets all the time. The nets themselves were very competitive. And, you know, that's what you need is that, that constant dynamism within the team but also getting on well together off the field. And that's where
0: I think that England World Cup winning side were unique. He played 124 times for England, 13 tests, 89 one-day internationals, 22 T20s. He's in his 37th year. He went out winning the World Cup. Was he hard done by or did the selectors get it right, that actually all good things must come to an end? I think he was a bit hard done by. Uh, I I think he
1: had... um, I and mean, he talks about this in, in the virtual cricket club, actually. And it, we it will be an interview that I post on YouTube uh, today. Uh, you can get to that if you go to the Analyst YouTube uh, channel. And he talks about the subtlety of his bowling um, and the way he took wickets in the middle overs by subtle variations of pace, subtle variations of grip, uh, working out each batsman's default way of... Uh, catching up with the strike rate or, you know, the, the, their typical shots and being able to anticipate what they might do. And I think that would have been really valuable for for England going forward. So even if he didn't play every game, I would have had him in the squad. I would have had him playing, you know, a few games and perhaps having a Tom Curran, uh, you know, one or two other players, maybe a Saki Mahmood, someone like that. Uh, who would ultimately take over his his role i would have had them around as well you know remember graham swan in the virtual kick club saying you know no. uh, jimmy anderson's best uh, uh, asset is is his knowledge of the game now Get him into the coaching setup as soon as he stops playing. Don't put him into Lancashire second 11 coach or whatever. Get him into the international environment where he can still have an impact. He still knows exactly what's going on and he can pass that on to the next generation. And I think that's where Liam Plunkett would have been valuable as a part-time player and part-time coach in that very sort of specific area of those middle overs
0: yeah i suppose the problem for the selectors was they, were, they were looking at his age weren't they and they were thinking well where's you know where's he going to be in four years time and we've seen jimmy anderson's about to go to the ashes at the age of 39 uh liam plunkett would have been or will be by the time of the next world cup, well, Orti, cup, roughly, cup yeah, yeah well no not no, quite as old, not quite as old as that but yeah so yeah about 38 so thinking well is that going to work for us we're going to play be playing a world cup in india it may yeah, it may work for them it, it may not have done so anyway they they took that decision it did seem like a, a tough decision i suppose selectors job is to is to make uh, tough decisions tough calls and some are going to agree with it and some aren't and some players going to feel very hard done by and some are going to feel very happy or relieved that they've been given an, another opportunity so what what about the the, the next step in his career you talked about going to, to play in america mm. what what sort of plans are there for Cricket in America. I mean, there's, there's going to be a, a, a T20 league, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Well, the the, the initial plans
1: are a, a minor league this year. Uh, sorry, when I say this year, 2022, um, 27 teams in the minor league, and he's going to be in one of those teams. I think he's going to be playing for Philadelphians, which is quite near to where his wife lives and where Liam obviously lives in in the winter, and uh, he will be player coach for that side. And, and then emerging from that, uh, the following year, I think it's going to be either a six or eight team T Twenty major league tournament uh, in in the states. Uh, they've already earmarked at several cities, places like Houston and LA, and so on, Dallas uh, for, for for having teams. Uh, they've got baseball stadiums that are getting converted into cricket stadiums. There's a lot of money invested the uh, TV broadcast rights are sort of up for grabs. And there is a, a, a TV station called Willow TV, which is huge in the States and which covers cricket from all around the world and has a, a big following. You know, there's a massive South Asian community, I think something like four or 5 million Indians or South South Asians living in the States who, you know, obviously cricket converts. And uh, you know, it's going to be a challenge to clearly get, the american populace as a as a as a whole to take on cricket and <clears throat> liam was saying actually that you know when he talks about cricket to the white americans when he's over there you know they say things like oh, do you have a mallet because they're thinking of crokey, or are you on a horse <laughs> so you know their oh, bafflement oh. uh, knows no bounds about cricket but th- there is a lot of investment and enthusiasm uh, happening in the States. Now, the ICC want to invest a lot of faith in the, the future of American cricket. Greg Barclay, who I interviewed, who's the chairman of the ICC, was saying to me the other day that they're planning to have a T20 World Cup co-hosted by the US and the West Indies in the next five
0: years. Yeah. So there's a lot happening in that space. Yeah, I mean, you need to be very careful when you say these things about mallets and horses, because you know we're going to have it in the hundred in a couple of years' time. <laughs> there's going to be, be players riding out on horses to the middle. I mean, that's you know, it's, it's the inevitable next step. You know, what what happens in the first in America comes over to to England. So, be, so, so be very careful. Uh, so, is the plan then in the U.S. to have players from around the world? So, it's not just it's not just going to be a d- domestic U.S. players. It's it's going to be you know they, they're going to bring in players from West mm. Indies where you know wherever yeah so they're I'd definitely I mean they've already Spain. signed
1: Corey Anderson from New Zealand who you may remember I think scored the fastest hundred in an ODI he he had temporarily held the record or maybe he was second fastest uh, ODI hundred in something like thirty two balls um, so you know he's he's a, 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 obviously not in the New Zealand side anymore but talented and they will get some other international players maybe some of them just passed their best feels a bit like Durham when Durham started actually and people like me were playing you know people slightly past their best to try and put the put the cricket on the map um I think they'll get some exciting talent obviously in the end they need to develop their own. Uh, in the meantime they need to you know try and find the likes of Liam Plunkett and others who just finished their international careers and want a a, a,
0: a new kind of challenge if you like before they get too old. Yeah, Corey Anderson, 131 not out of 47 balls was the innings you were talking about. He reached his 100 off 36 balls back in uh, January 2014. Yeah, I mean, you, you, what, obviously what they need ultimately are the, are the top players, aren't they? The, the, the top stars. But then there's so much demand from all sorts of leagues around the world. They're going to have to divide them into two, aren't they? They're going to have to take a leg over to America. Another leg of playing happen. in the <clears throat> IPL.
1: I'll tell you what's going to happen, though, is, is that... that IPL franchises, uh, maybe even big bash franchises, are going to start to invest in the US because f- because the US is sports richest market. You know that there, there is so much available capital there. They have uh, many of the, the world's richest sporting franchises, the likes of Dallas Cowboys and uh, you know the, the the baseball franchises and so on. So it, it's a it's a no brainer for the game to try and get more interest i think also the fact that uh, the americans now are legalizing sports betting has created a massive opportunity don't start say match fixing uh, sports betting the whole world of sports betting brings in a lot more finance into sport uh, as we've seen in this country and um and sport, and sort of fancy gaming and things like that so you know there's a lot of uh, opportunity in america And I'll just say one other thing um a lot of the really big tech companies are run by people who were born in india the googles and the microsofts and so on that there, there's a big interest in cricket and the technological um connections with cricket and you know, the fact that it's a game about numbers and data and so on. So that is also an area that will really help the game to grow.
0: So the 2050 T20 World Cup final between what, USA and China, do you think?
1: <laughs> Listen, 2028 LA uh, games, yeah. cricket is going to be part of that. I, I guarantee
0: you've heard it here. I guarantee that's going to happen. Right, Yos, we've been talking for long enough. Uh, today, we've been really enjoying the T20 World Cup, uh, England making progress, Pakistan uh, making progress. We're fascinating to see how it plays out. We've got England and Australia to look forward to on Saturday. And we've got you know, Afghanistan tell you what else we've got to, look to. to look forward to. Well, I'll tell you well, what else we've
1: got to what? look forward to. Next week in the Virtual Cricket Club, you know who our guest is, don't you? I think it's Andy Zaltzman, isn't it? It is its It's yeah. Andy Zaltzman. And we've been racking our brains to try and think of quiz questions that would stunk that would stump him because his knowledge, of obviously, of the game is ridiculous. Well, so we, we've got to come up with some clever quiz, quiz questions.
0: Maybe we give him the answers and he's got to work out the question. <laughs> he'd, like, he'd like that. I mean, if you think we're enthusiasts about cricket, then you haven't, you've not seen anything yet. I mean, Andy Zoltzman is an absolute uh, cricket nut. So, you yeah, we know, well, we, great to have uh, Zoltz in the Virtual Cricket Club on Wednesday. And you can um, join that by going to
1: world'sbestcricketclub.com. And please join us because... We've got a, a sequence of other guests. Ian Botham's going to do a wine tasting. In Another a, one, is he? Yeah, yeah, well, you he, he, remember he roasted us for, for not doing his whites last, last time. He did the reds, but we didn't do the whites. So he's desperate
0: to come on and, and talk about his white wine, apart from the ashes, of course. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to that, yours. Um Thanks for joining us uh, today. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and we'll speak to you again soon.